hi Maria and welcome to Fresh Books. Maria Ross, we're talking to the author of The Empathy Edge today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me today. This is going to be fun. It's our My pleasure. first virtual book club. <laughs> there, we, there we are. You know, it's, um, I don't think we're totally unique, but we're, we're, we're certainly uh, one of the few. And this is the, the third session we've had in a, an autumn, or should I say fall series, because um, it's been authors all on the other side of the pond um, for us. So we started off, we were pretty lucky. We spoke with Marty Newmeyer. Um, kind of brand guru. Uh, I think he's happy for us to use that term, although he doesn't use it himself. <laughs> and then we we called in to um, Toronto and Jeremy Miller, who, like you, Maria, just launched um, a new new a new book, brand new name. So you're in good company, I think. I am. I'm very honoured. So, um, tell me what you've been up to um you know i'm we're connected in a couple of different ways and it looks like you're you've been amazingly busy so give us give us a, a snapshot into your world around promoting the book just now yeah so i the book came out october 22nd and uh i purposely aligned my client work as a brand strategist helping fast growth companies with messaging and rebranding i purposely ended that at in at the end of september so that I could focus on book launch activity for the next couple of months. But yeah, the book came out October 22nd. Um, as, as you know, you know, you have to start promoting a book before the book actually comes out. So we were doing a lot there, but mostly I've been busy doing um, media interviews and also doing events, which have been great. So getting the word out, I did some events in Seattle, Chicago, events in the Bay Area, and then I'll be heading to Vancouver um, before the Christmas holidays. And then I'm actually taking two months off for personal reasons. And then we'll be back at it um, doing some conferences and speaking engagements in February. So it's been really nice. And the topic has really been resonating with people, which warms my heart, of course. But um, I think it's something that everyone is starting to want and demand in their workplace, in the businesses that they support. Um, in the brands that they love, um, this idea of, you know, profit and purpose, profit and cash flow and compassion, as I always like to say. So um, it's just been really nice because a couple of years ago, when I was first pitching the books to agents, the book to agents, they were like, yeah, we love it. Your writing's great, but can you change it to be about feminine traits being a competitive advantage? Because, you know, a couple of years ago when the Me Too movement gathered steam every all the publishers were like we need books about and for women and so i i purposely said no and turned down agents because i want this discussion to be gender neutral um empathy is a human trait not a feminine trait not a masculine trait um and as i often say you know two of my worst bosses were who were not empathetic were women so we don't have a lock on this <laughs> and so um you know the more we can talk about this in terms of um, how it benefits the business, how it benefits your customers, how it benefits you as a leader to accomplish more, we can sort of get skeptics on side and say, you know, this is something that, that customers are demanding, that employees are demanding, that we as humans should be demanding of our workplaces. So that's been really, really exciting. And then of course, you know, events like this are, are super fun to get the word out. Oh, that's cool. Thanks. And I think you're right. I think, I think, men have to try and do that without making it a gender thing to, to, to actually kind of own a bit of the empathy. I, mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, those are good management skills, they're good leadership skills, they're, they're good attributes for our, for our brand. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you, but, but, but it doesn't have to be a, a, a gender thing either. Um, so, the, you give me a real opportunity to jump jump forward. You're you're talking about some of those local events there that you want to do, and and if if you don't mind at the end, I'm going to ask about what's next. But so I really wanted to say, come to Scotland, come to Scotland. But so, I want to, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> want to come to the UK? And, and Every, then everyone on this call can help make that happen. So yeah, we'll talk about that. We've, yes. we've, we've we've got a bit of a lobby here, so so yes. trust me, we're gonna we're gonna work on that. <laughs> Um, so, but, but let's, let's go back a little bit and then 
bring it back to the to the book, the content of the book, mm -hmm. and some people um, might want to join in there. Um, so you said you parked Red Slice, so your um, your consultancy. But but tell us a little bit more about what else you do do because mm -hmm. you're not actually an author, are you? You know, you don't just sit and churn out books. That's not what you do. I know. I wish. I wish I could. I wish I could just do uh, speaking and writing. But um, what I what I run is a brand strategy consultancy. I help clients, whether I sort of have two audience groups, I have solopreneurs, consultants, coaches, people that are literally doing everything within their business and promoting themselves. And I also work with fast growth companies. So uh, many of them in tech, but not all of them have always been in tech. And it's really just about companies that want to create an irresistible brand story and an effective message that drives sales, but that also sort of differentiates them from the competition, helps them stand out, helps them attract the right kind of customer, um, and also helps them grow the business from a revenue perspective. So my background is actually in a long background, but management consulting from the marketing perspective, I've done almost everything there is to do in marketing. I've been a marketing executive. I've been on the client and agency sides. I've managed PR. I've done sales enablement, lead generation, website, you name it. And so I bring those skills to bear for my clients and run as part of my process, I run a very effective cross-functional um, brand workshop to get everyone on side, to get the input and the perspectives, which talking about empathy, getting other people's perspectives on how they see the brand and the mission and the value of what they offer to customers and coalescing that into a, an articulated and compelling brand message that gets the attention of the people that they want to get. So I do it as a very efficient package. It's about a six week project because I was a marketing executive and I know that I hated six month, 12 month projects, <laughs> but then they sort of need to take it and run with it. So, you know, it, it will continue on after I leave, but I really just plug in the strategy component so that they don't waste time, effort, energy, headache, money on sort of being all over the place as they, you know, create a new website or create new sales materials or, or do events or anything like that. We're really giving them the foundation so that from there, everything can be clear and consistent and compelling. So that's been pretty exciting. Like I said, most of my clients are in tech, <clears throat> but I have worked across industries and my solopreneur clients run the gamut from, like I said, coaches, consultants, authors, um, you know, e-commerce makers, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's been really fun. I've been doing it for, gosh, almost almost 12 years. It'll be in February. So so I'm just sort of taking a hiatus from client work right now, and I'll be picking that up in February. That, that's good. Um, and, you know, no one can really challenge you, or if they do challenge you, I think it sounds like you're going to have the answers because you've, you've been there. <laughs> and, you know, you're now kind of taking your own medicine if, mm -hmm. if you like aren't they you know mm -hmm. so that's a, i think that's a really nice combination of skills mm -hmm. and experience to then say mm -hmm. well look you know let's let's take it out there and, and help others develop which i think some of the listeners you know a lot of us are uh, consultants coaches advisors and so on and so we'll maybe mm -hmm. um you know twist things a little bit around for for that audience um mm -hmm. late later in the in the in the call I guess when you're having these conversations, everyone wants to know why you wrote the book. Okay, <laughs> and you've kind of done that. You've told us about that. But I'm I'm a little bit fascinated by by authors and writing. I, mm -hmm. I read a lot of books, and everyone says, you know, everyone's got a book in them, right? So all of mm -hmm. us kind of in here are thinking, right, uh, you know, um, and I, I can see um, two other authors on the call, so that's mm -hmm. that's quite nice. Um. So in practical terms, so you, you know, you've got a, a busy life and you've got this business. How, how did you actually go about writing it? You know, what sort of support did you have and, and what was mm -hmm. the process? Yeah. So this is my third book. I have, my first book was Branding Basics for Small Business. And then I took a departure. I actually wrote a personal memoir about surviving a brain aneurysm called Rebooting My Brain. So I always like to say, I talk about branding and brain injury. Um, but this book is, it's really funny that you say that Finley, because I was kind of going through this, what do I want to do next period in 2016? And I knew I wanted to write another book. My son was about two and a half at the time. I just, and I just didn't know what I wanted to write about. And as any of the authors on the call can attest to, like, you only should jump into a book if you're really passionate about the topic, because <laughs> it's a lot of work. 
so I couldn't, you know, I had sort of these ideas, but then that was kind of wrapped up with what do I want to do with my platform and my business? Like, where do I want to go from here? I've been effectively working with clients. Do I want to continue to do that? Do I want to step it up? Do I want to focus more on corporate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the 2016 election happened here in the U.S., something you guys may have heard about. Um, and I was completely upended by it. Uh, I was completely upended by the behavior, by the incivility, by, and I was scared as, an, as a new, newish mom of what, what the behavior I saw in the culture meant for my son and the world that he was going to grow up in. And especially this whole um, ostracizing of the other and, and, and that, that aspect really just struck me. And I was having the same conversations with my clients and my colleagues whether they were solopreneurs, whether they were marketing leaders at corporations, people were sort of like, they, they were sort of shell-shocked. They didn't know what to do. They were like, well, well, I feel all this empathy. I feel all this emotion and I don't know what to do with it. Like, I'm just a web designer. I'm just, I just, we just sell software. Like, what can we possibly do to improve the world right now? And, um, at that same time, I was working with a strengths coach to kind of figure out what was my next step. And, Ironically, one of my top five strengths came back as empathy. And it, I wouldn't necessarily call myself an overly empathetic person, but I started thinking about it and thinking, yeah, that theme has come up in my life over and over and over again. In fact, when my husband and I talked about what we wanted for our son when he was a baby, you know, we talked about we want him to be independent, we want him to be creative, we want him to be empathetic. And so long story short, everything kind of clicked. And I was like, I need to write a book about empathy and about more, not about the theory, because I'm not an empathy specialist per se. I feel like I am now, but after three years, but um, this idea of putting it into action. So, because what hasn't been working for us in our world is just be nicer, right? Be empathetic, take someone else's point of view. What does that mean on a daily basis to us? What does that mean in the place where we spend the bulk of our time, which is at work? So I started down this exploration of, well, what does that look like in action? And it, it dovetailed nicely with my work because a lot of my clients would talk about, we want our brand to be seen as empathetic. We want our brand to be seen as approachable. We want to be seen as the good guys, you know, in the, in the messy world of, of corporate life. And so it just all came together and I decided to write this book, really looking at it from three levels, leadership, culture, and brand. Because in my brand practice, I talk about you can't just paint a coat of brand paint over your business and hope it sticks. It has to be real. It has to start from the inside out. And I know Josh Levine's on the call who I interviewed for the book, and he can attest to this with his work, that whatever promises you make externally have to start internally. You have to actually be walking your talk. And so he and, I, he and I work on the two sides of the coin. I work on, on the external brand stuff. He works on the internal brand stuff and culture. And really, where, when that comes together, you have some of the most sustainable, powerful brands, whether you're a large global organization or whether you're really a successful solopreneur. And that's what I love about the message of the book is it kind of applies to anybody. A little long-winded, but yeah, that's, that's, I was trying to save the world is basically what I was trying to do. <laughs> that, that, that's, well, that's, that's brilliant, um, Maria. Uh, thanks, because um, I was, yeah, wanting to go on to that mission. So, so you, I think you, you're quite open about it in the book, aren't you? You're like, um, it's kind of by um, slight a wee bit to say, well, hey, you're maybe reading this book because you're trying to, make your business a little bit better mm -hmm. um that's fine you know you can read the book and hopefully some of this other your bigger mission or or maybe yes. um you know we talk more about purpose so maybe it's that you know it's more than just your profit and because i love that how you say that they can um coexist together and mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, you know so um, that that was that was a really nice uh, backstory, and and I think you're right that the environment, and obviously we, you know, the, there's a global environment that we're all part of, but we've got mm -hmm. a similar, um, we we've got a, a similar sort of environment, and and I think we're all sensitive to to that. So, mm -hmm. so you you name checked um, Josh. We'll maybe uh, pick up on on an area when we go into his area of expert Absolutely. expertise. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I was it was it was lovely that. Um, 
he's uh, coming in to to listen um, to yeah. you um, because um, spoiler alert, we're going to talk to Josh in in February. Okay, so um, you have it, you have it here. He's got yeah. he's got good stuff to share. So tune into that one. <laughs> cool. So what what I really like as well, you know, is in that you're saying that this brings value so that the actual the, the, the sub subtitle is um, is about how empathy can bring value um, and one of the one of the areas you know when you you know why why is this good for business that I really tuned into and it was like a light bulb moment for me was around innovation mm-hmm. um, and you quote Steve Jobs and you know we all quote Steve Jobs and use Apple as a reference point mm-hmm. don't we you know um, but um, I was I was explaining that I um, have run a, a, a workshop for for years a marketing workshop so more kind of a general and, and I talk about customer focus mm-hmm. um, and understanding the needs and wants of, of consumers um, and so we use Apple to say, you know, how, how great they are. And it, we often get a debate going because it's like, well, it's, it's not really because I didn't know that I wanted that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what you're saying is if we can get so close um, in, in an understanding of our customers mm-hmm. through empathy, then we can become more innovative. So I really like that. I mean, there was other examples you used in, in the book as well, yeah. but obviously... You, you like Apple as an example. I, I do. Actually, can you give me like 20 seconds? I, the sun just came above the fence outside my office. So give me 20 seconds yeah. to close this curtain so you're not all uh, being absolutely. blinded. Absolutely, yeah. That's better. So yeah, I was just asking you about um, about the um, empathy aligned to innovation and how mm-hmm. uh, Apple were so good at it that it it was it almost seemed like magic, didn't it? But but actually, yeah. the light bulb moment, it was like, yeah, that is the attribute that they were actually using. Exactly, and I, there's there's so many more examples than Apple. I mean, Google actually did studies, as Google does. Google dug into the data with, um, I, I believe it was Project Aristotle, of looking at their most inventive and productive projects over the years. And to their surprise, they found that the teams that contributed to those most innovative projects actually led with the soft skills, not pure technical prowess or education. So people that were high in collaboration, communication, and empathy. Um, so, you know, even they proved themselves wrong about, oh, it's not just computer science experts and technologists that can make innovative products. It's how the team works together and the, and the, the personalities and traits of those teams coming together that, that force innovation. Um, and then, you know, w- with the Apple example, the big, the big takeaway there is it's, it's kind of funny because in all the speaking engagements I've had so far, people try to say like, well, they try to use Apple as the antithesis for this theory of, well, look at how Steve Jobs was as a leader, right? He was, he was known to be very mercurial and not very empathetic with his team. But surprisingly, having talked to, you know, as you saw in the book, one of the, one of the first product evangelists at Apple, Ellen Petrie-Lianz, she shared with me that um, despite that, he was hugely empathetic with the customers. I mean, that was actually, it was, it was almost maniacal. And so he would read every email. He would listen to every piece of feedback. And he said he wanted to get to know his customers so well that he could give them something before they knew they needed it. And that's what we mean by empathy for your customers is knowing them intimately, not so you can con them into something, but you know, what are their challenges? What are their hopes? What are their values? What keeps them up at night? And this is, these are the exact questions I ask my clients in the projects we do because we build ideal customer profiles, which people fight against at first is, oh, but, but you know, there's so many different types of people that buy our products. Yes, but there's a certain type of person and what are they looking for? What are their needs? What are their wants? What are their pain points? And when you know that, you can not only tap into 
speaking their language with here's how that's this solves that problem that you have and we can talk about that in a second about asking and echoing back but also you end up creating new products and services because you get more ideas of oh here are these other problems they're facing related to what we do what if we could build solutions for that and you allow be people to be creative and innovative on the same token and, and josh can speak to this too when you have a culture that's empathetic, where, where your employees feel seen, heard, and understood, they are freed up mentally and psychologically to feel safe, to feel like you have their back, and that frees them up to invent, to create, to collaborate, rather than spending all their mental energy on looking over their shoulder all the time and worrying about their job and worrying about how to navigate the political landscape, et cetera, et cetera. You actually free them up to do the work you hired them to do. Um, and that's the joy of, you know, kind of looking at it from an empathetic brand and the empathetic culture perspective is when those go hand in hand, that culture can build employees and build um, workers that then can give a better experience to your customers. And that results in sales, that results in revenue, that results in customer loyalty, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, there's, there's so many facets to that innovation piece that I love to, to talk about and parse out. So, um, while there's maybe, there's certain elements of empathy, <laughs> what, what we're trying to find is a kind of, is a 360. So not just mm -hmm. the Steve Jobs, um, customer focused, if you like, mm -hmm. he has to be, um, he could have been better maybe within his own culture so he's maybe got yeah. some of those attributes that you were that you were yeah. talking about there so maybe that's a nice uh, way to bring josh in i see you know as as expected um he's he's muted there are you are you with us um josh he's he, he's maybe um he'll be like you he'll be on morning morning tea just now but i'll see if we can get up <laughs> um and, and <coughs> Maybe yeah, just sort color, of add some, color some of the, mm -hmm. the, the culture elements, but mm -hmm. um, I'll maybe see him when he when he reappears. Yeah. Yeah. But and he'll be on um, next month, so he's good. I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, um, I'll be that really awkward um, teacher or um, or or trainer and and point the finger at, at someone else, but I'll, I'll give him a bit of notice. Um, Sandy McCurdy um, is the sales coach, the sales coach. Um, big experience in, in big brands with McCain's and uh, Kleenex mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people see sales as a real red-blooded fairly macho um, let's say it, you know some of those real mm -hmm. masculine um, traits mm -hmm. um, but you know you categorically say look um, empathy can help increase sales grow sales right. and and you know I've been lucky enough to be um, coached and mentored to, to a degree by by Sandy and so um, you actually quantify that which I thought was great and, I, and I'm sure um, Sandy will have some an anecdote for yeah. us and I, you know it's not just me saying that you know it's it's you know Harvard Business Review has done studies of empathy being the number one trait of successful salespeople and it you know it's all kind of common sense it's just now we have the data behind it for the skeptics so this idea of being a better listener, being attuned to the needs of the customer you're talking to, that's all empathy. And that's actually what enables you to make sales. It enables you to connect with someone and understand their world, understand how they see the world and provide a solution that works within the construct of that world. And so when we talk about the, the traits and habits in the book about highly successful leaders, for example, which leaders, you could swap out individuals as well, even if you don't think of yourself as a leader. This, this is more like the things you can do as a person. Um, curiosity is one of the top traits of highly empathetic people, highly empathic people is what they say. Um, so it, again, it stands to reason if you, and, and also listening more and talking less and being humble. So those are all traits you can apply as a successful salesperson. I've worked with big enterprise sales teams for years and some of the greatest people and some of the most arrogant people I've ever met. <laughs> and even, even if there was that trace of arrogance with some of those salespeople, the successful ones, when they were in the moment with the customer, they knew how to listen. Maybe they were a little bit more arrogant internally, but externally, they were very humble. They, were, they listened well. They could 
I always used to marvel when I would, because I, you know, I'm obviously marketing and I, people would say, you'd be such a great salesperson. And I'm like, I don't know, because I, I would get in those conversations with the sales reps and we would be listening to the same conversation. And when we debrief after the successful ones would be like, well, this is what I heard. This is what I heard. This is what I heard. And I was like, really? Cause I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> and they instantly knew what the roadblocks were, what the objections were, what that customer's fears were. And it was just such an amazing skill to witness firsthand that I really have a lot of respect for those successful salespeople. And like you said, I think the difference is they don't go at it thinking it has to be like, it's my arrogance that's going to win the sale. It's my overconfidence. It's my, I'm going to tell you what to do and prescribe, <clears throat> excuse me, what you need to be doing. It was those that knew what they wanted out of the conversation. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, and, and Sandy can probably speak to this. They had, they had an agenda and they had what they wanted to accomplish, but they were very good listeners and very good at, you know, reiterating what they heard and reading between the lines, understanding what that customer's life was like and how their product or solution could help make their work life better. And so I think that that is such a, such a great thing to remember that um, it's not, it's not the arrogance. It's not the, the bull in a china shop thing that actually helps those salespeople be successful it's their ability to be empathetic that's that's good good lessons there um sandy um I, i'm sure hi there you're, hi sandy um, <coughs> excuse sorry, me i'm sure you'll be learning a lot because i know you're you're great at listening and absorbing so, so what maria's telling us there. I, I've got a couple of questions. Thanks very much, Maria. I, thought, I think it's really interesting. And it was interesting for you to say that um, empathy is seen as a feminine trait, which I totally understand. Right. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. Um, so I think one of the things that made me think as you were talking there is that one of the, the problems I think we have in sales is that people have to gain mastery. Mm -hmm. And as you've said, you've come across the experienced salespeople that just intuitively pick up on what the customer's saying. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about marketing in a second, but, but I think uh, Finley likes my story. So if I can tell you one of my stories, I, had a, a, I worked in frozen food sales and I was calling on a wholesaler who I knew very well and I presented a product to him and told them, I don't <coughs> think it's for you. But I'll let you see it. So we sampled it and I said, it's not for the market you're in. You're in the education market. You're in the fast food. You're in hotels. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't really for you. And he then started to argue the case that it was for him. But I didn't want him to fill up his cold store with products that wouldn't sell. Right. So at the end of the day, he was telling me why he was going to sell it. And I was telling him why I didn't think he could sell it. <laughs> And he, yeah. said, and he said to me at the end of the conversation, that was really strange. He said, I became the salesperson and you became the buyer. Mm -hmm. and, but I think that's an indication maybe of empathy. Mm -hmm. It's that idea that a salesperson goes in totally thinking about the customer and not their own needs at the, at the exactly. early stages. The, the other thing, I, I, I very, very late in my career, I got involved in marketing. Um, and I think one of the things that interests me is the way that we are now starting to turn, use technology and processes in, in empathy. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that? You, you did allude to it earlier, Maria, mm -hmm. but just how do you actually do it with maybe some of the larger companies? Well, I mean, we have to always remember that at the end of the day, however big the company is, it's always a collection of people making decisions that, you know, so this whole thing about we're too big to be empathetic, we're, you know, it's, it's a machine, it's this, that, and the other thing. It, I don't buy that, quite honestly, because again, it's a collection of people making decisions. Um, as I interviewed Jay Bear, who's a, a friend of mine in the book, he's a content marketing expert, mar you know, customer experience expert. And he even said, I don't think a brand can be empathetic. I think you can have empathetic people performing empathetic acts that create an impression of empathy. And I thought that was really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, but the companies that do it right, number one, again, you know, as I said, it kind of starts from the inside out. It starts from the culture. But if you have a marketing team, for example, that is really in lockstep with the customer, 
meaning you know, we can talk about all the different habits and traits that they do, but they're getting in the trenches with the customer. They're accepting feedback as a gift. That's another one. They are speaking the customer's language. And you, to speak the customer's language, you have to get to know the customer and understand, again, not, not in a selling context. This is where marketing can come in, but understanding them um, so that you can ask and echo back in your sales messages, in your marketing messages. You're saying things the way they phrase it to themselves. The problem, especially with my tech clients, is people fall in love with their own jargon and or they're doing it to appease analysts, especially in tech. Well, this is what the analysts are calling the space and the solution. But your customers are not calling it that when they when they when they're up at night and they're cursing inside their own head. What are they saying that they need? Use that language on your website. Use that language in your marketing. And all of a sudden somebody gets your email, somebody get your sales pitch and they're like, oh my gosh, it's like you're reading my mind, right? We've all had those moments, right? And so um, I think when marketing teams can be given the, the latitude to take the time to get to know the customer rather than, you know, it's about leads, it's about leads, quarterly sales, quarterly, you know, leads, leads, leads. Um, being able to take that step back and say, you know, it's not focus groups per se, it's really just staying in lockstep with your customer. I did, um, I did a panel the other day with a brand, I think that's just now getting into the U in the UK, Hintwater, are you familiar with them? So they're no. a San Francisco based company. Um, the woman who started it used to work in tech and um, now she has, a, she has a, a brand around fruit infused water. So it's still water, there's not chemicals in it with just a, a hint of fruit in it, which is how it came about. And they are completely changing the beverage market. And one of the things when I interviewed her a couple of years ago for an article for Entrepreneur, we talked about how she started the brand. And what she said made them so successful in branching out was they were constantly communicating with their customers via social media, via email, via whatever, and finding out how their customers were using the product and what they wanted out of the product. It was more than just they wanted water right? It was a lot, some of them were, were drinking it for health reasons. They were diabetic and it was the only flavored beverage that they, they were allowed to have. Some of them were, so it was all these surprising things they didn't realize when they started the business that their customers revealed to them. And it was because they were in constant, you know, not just a yearly survey of, oh, how, <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, how great do you think we are? Which is usually what those customer surveys are they were really in lockstep of tell us how you're using the product. Tell us where you're finding the product on the shelves. You know, what are you using it for? What did you replace to, to use hint water, et cetera, et cetera. And so they've been able to expand into other product lines as a result of really understanding their customers and how their product fit into their customers' lives. So um, long-winded, but this idea of allowing marketing the latitude in the larger organizations to get them out of the day-to-day -day firefighting, the day-to-day -day lead gen, and give them the space and the latitude to do some of that investigative work and that communica communicative work with customers so that in the end, all the efforts and money they're spending are actually gonna be way more effective. Um, and there's a few other examples in the book for you, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, getting, just getting back to the core point is when you have a collection of people making decisions, you can you can take the time to to infuse empathy into your marketing and into your messaging. Thanks, uh, Maria, and um, <laughs> thank thanks, Sandy, for uh, bringing your stories to it. Um, as you say, I like always like hearing the. the story. <laughs> I love that story. That's a classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's maybe talk about brand. You you touched on it there, Maria, and you know for those of us that that work in that, that domain, it's mm -hmm. always a challenge, isn't it? To actually, well, broaden it and deepen mm -hmm. it when we talk about brand. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you do that really nicely. Um, I, I think at the start of the chapter, you actually kind of split the, the brand into three levels. Mm -hmm. And so you go, yes, okay, the, the logo and visual identity is important, but it comes back to your point about actually being the delivery agents, the point of contact, the, the customer touch point, which is mm -hmm. the employees. Mm -hmm. So they have to be as individuals. 
representing the brand and, mm -hmm. and we're saying is empathetic themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so um, how do you think this does translate to into the, the brand domain and, and mm -hmm. what are your kind of key thinking there? Yeah, so um, what you're referring to is I talk about brand being more than just a logo, as many of us probably do, but it, it exists at three levels, visually, verbally, and experientially. So visually is what everyone thinks of, the logo, the colors, how cool does the website look? Verbally is, is your language. What do you say? What is your brand voice? Um, it, you know, is, it, is it edgy and provocative or is it safe and conservative? And so what is your elevator pitch? What is your website copy? What, how do you, what is your sales pitch? And then you, you promise something visually and verbally and where it has to meet is experientially. So if I have a, as a customer, you're, promise me, you're promising me something visually and verbally, does my experience match that? Are you walking your talk? So you say in all your marketing and advertising, United Airlines, that you are dedicated to customer service. But my experience tells me otherwise, whether that's like direct experience or what I see in the press, or hearing someone else tell me about their experience. So that's where companies, companies fall down, is that they think of brand as just a marketing thing. And it can't just be a marketing thing. It has to be the core and essence of the entire business. And it has to inform product design. It has to inform pricing. It has to inform policies. It has to inform um, you know, your technology. All of those things, if you are making a promise, it has to be delivered via the experience. Um, and so that's, that's always the work that I do with clients of, and why I do a cross-functional team as part of the workshop, which many of them don't get at first. Um, why do I have to have HR in here? Why do I have to have the head of product in here? This is, this is a marketing project. It's like, no, it's not. It's not. It's everybody. Because if you can't infuse the brand that you create, the message and the strategy, into every single thing the customer experiences across the organization, then it's just a, a veneer. It's just a coat of brand paint. And again, you're just gonna have disappointed customers in your wake. So where this fits into empathy as a very specific brand attribute is once again, if you want to be known as an empathetic brand, which it's to your benefit, given all the data I show about where things are going, where consumer behavior is going, where, where the, the where the feelings of incoming talent, millennials and Gen Z are going, you better want to be an empathetic brand. <laughs> and so how do you do that? Well, again, you've got to, you've got to have the right messaging. You've got to understand your customers. So that's where the two, the two shall meet. In other words, um, you know, and you, you could, you know, you could write a book like this for any brand attribute. Like what, what does it mean to be innovative? What does it mean to be um, caring? What is it, whatever your, your brand attribute choice, I've just chosen to go through it in this doorway of presenting yourself as an empathetic, caring, compassionate brand, which, you know, we kind of, we define empathy in the book, but you can kind of use, companies are using those words interchangeably. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's part of the zeitgeist just now it is generational and that generation is becoming more important and mm -hmm. they're not fooled by the, by the veneer. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're pretty quick to, to scratch it off and they want to know what's under there. You know, right. to, And they'll to, call you out to millions of people while they, while they do it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's jump forward now. Um, and, you know, that some of us are coaches and consultants and, um, you know, it's lovely to talk to you because, you know, your philosophy and ethos is so aligned to the fresh work that we do. And, you know, we're going out and try to um, get the same message out there. Mm -hmm. um, but taking, you know, the empathy edge to our clients in a, in a snapshot, you know, three takeaways, what should we be giving to, what should be our offer be to our clients, you know, who are mm -hmm. maybe leaders or brand managers? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, that's a good question, actually. So, so I can tell you what I bring to the work and then everyone can kind of see how this relates to their work. But as I mentioned at the beginning, my career started as a management consultant. I was a management consultant with Accenture in their change management division. Um, as someone who'd studied marketing in college, all of a sudden I was doing organizational design and process design and, and skills gap analysis and all this training and all this kind of stuff. 
And so I bring that, th that sort of never left me. And so I bring that to bear when I talk to my clients. And it's actually something I say, you know, this is what differentiates me as a brand strategist is I come at this with a, with a change management point of view. And I'm about to publish an article on LinkedIn about why brand, brand projects are actually transformation projects. They're not just marketing projects. Because what inevitably happens in the conversation, and this is what, you know, folks on the call, you can educate your clients, is that this can't just be a marketing exercise. So questioning your clients on, okay, if we're going to make this claim in our marketing materials, whether you, you tout it or not, what are the proof points? Make them think about what are the proof points behind our product, service, or offering, or experience that enable us to truthfully say this. And get them to start thinking about everything that they're claiming in the market as needing to have a proof point behind it. Like what I do with my clients is pretend someone's calling you out on this, this brand claim that you're innovative. What are you going to say to them to say, here's why I can prove we can say we're innovative. We've developed new products every year. We invest in R&D, yada, 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 whatever those things. So even just getting them to think about that pause and think about that and say, is this really true? I know that this claim sounds great. And it's what your competitors are saying, but let's take a moment to get our ducks in a row and make sure we can prove it. And if any of those proof points impact another area of the, of the organization, bring them in. So if it's, if it's some, some feature in the product, have a conversation with the head of product or head of technology and go, we're going to make this claim to the market. How do you see the product fulfilling that claim? Give us a couple bullet points as to why we can make that claim. It makes your marketing more truthful. It makes your marketing more robust. I always talk about the fact that marketing is not about lying. It's about elevating the truth of your story. So helping to educate our clients that that's how they need to start thinking about this and not just, well, my CEO said I have to have this word on the marketing materials. Pushing back and saying, okay, but let's make sure we've got some proof points behind that. And let's bring in some other people within the organization that can help us flesh that out. Um, and this is the beauty of, of making this not just a marketing exercise, but bringing everyone in. I think that that is the, the biggest thing. The other thing is, it's okay to be aspirational in your brand. So some of the projects I work on when, when folks are rebranding or um, on occasion, they're launching a brand new product line or they're launching a brand new company, as is the case with many solopreneurs. So they don't have a brand yet, right? Like they can't, they're like, I don't know. I guess I can say I'm X, Y, and Z, you know, as a brand attribute or as a benefit. So it's okay to be aspirational. But again, that change management component. So let's think about what you have to put into place to make that benefit statement true. So even if you're, even if this is a brand new product, and I've had those discussions, especially with companies where, again, where we're like, okay, we can sort of make that claim. But here's a couple of to-do items for the product team or the customer sale, you know, the customer team, or some policies that need to change so that you can ensure that that benefit claim is real. And that's where you get into change management. That actually fundamentally might change policies. It might change procedures. It might change um, different ways that people are working together. Um, and that is, that is change management. So I think those two things are really important that we can elevate ourselves from a strategic perspective as marketers, as sales coaches, if we can get, get that point across. And we don't have to have the answer. That, that's the thing. We just need to be raising the question and getting our clients to think about it this way, because otherwise it is just a marketing veneer. And, and they will think, even if they can't do anything with that information, you are leaving them with more value. And you're getting them to understand that brand goes deeper than just what's on the advertisement. Brilliant. Nice. I, I, I like those two. And we'll take that as a learning. Um, one, one more thing before maybe ask about um, what's next for you as, as individuals then, because it's all got to start with uh, the individual. How, mm -hmm. how could we improve? How, how could I be more competitive with my, um, my empathy edge? Uh -huh. um, as a person, how, how can we improve? I love that. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's several habits and traits in the book under the leadership section. So I'll, t I'll call out a few of those. But one thing I want to say to that is the notion that I'm just not very good at empathy is kind of BS because 
science shows us that humans are hardwired for empathy. It's in our DNA. This is why it's gender neutral. It's just, I like to use the gym analogy, the working out. Some of us have been in an environment where we've worked out every day and, we, and, and we've seen empathy modeled and we, it's part of us, it's part of our standing, standard operating procedure. And so it does come easier for us. We're more in shape, right? Other people have not been in an environment where their empathy muscle has been flexed very much. Either that could be from upbringing, that could be from their current work environment or culture, that muscle has atrophied. And so what you need to do is get back to the gym. <laughs> so, so the traits that I share in the book, it's not meant to like do all seven of these every day or you won't be up. It's sort of like, you know, don't jump into the workout routine in full right away. Try a few things, start to flex that muscle. You know, it will, it will be hard at first and it will be painful and you will be sore, <laughs> but the more that you can do it, um, this is, this is true of, of of any change in habit you're trying to make. I spoke with a psychologist who works with highly autistic children and they work, she works with those children on developing empathy because they don't have, many of them don't have it. And so how they start is just with rote checklists. Just do these things. I, it, it doesn't matter what your intention is. So here's the thing about bringing the skeptics along. It doesn't matter if they're trying to be empathetic to boost profits or increase revenue or increase market valuation. Just do these steps. And what happens is your prefrontal cortex is engaged because it's something that they're doing consciously. But eventually it rewires your brain so that it becomes part of your operating procedure. It works with, with those kids and it can work with empathy too. So one of the biggest ones is practice presence. Because if you are more mindful and you are more present in the situation, you are not so caught up in your own stuff. So how do you, how do you build a mindfulness practice? You don't, you don't, you don't have to meditate for an hour a day. Take 10 minutes a day to ground yourself, to meditate, to knit, to take a walk, to sit in silence, whatever you need to do to sort of silence the noise in your head. And then you have more space to take on someone else's perspective and not be so caught up in your own stuff. The second thing is, as we talked about earlier, is being curious is one of the best ways to develop your empathy muscle. So when you're in that situation with, when you're with a difficult client, a difficult colleague, a difficult coworker, whatever, instead of this is why I'm right and you're wrong. And let me, let me keep telling you what my opinion is. Get curious, ask questions, keep digging. Why do you feel that way? Why do you think that's the best course of action? What do you, how do you see that leading to success? What, what is, what is triggering that for you? Maybe understanding some of the personal context behind why people act the way they do or think the way they do. And from there, you can then find some common ground to build up from and say, okay, so now I hear what you're saying and I understand your point of view. It doesn't mean I, I just acquiesce, that's not empathy, but now I'm seeing things through your point of view because I've gotten curious and I've asked more questions. Corollary to that, listen more and be humble. So come into the situation. Yes, you're a consultant, you're a coach, you know best, you need to share your expertise. That's why the client's hiring you. But listen, listen. So when you ask those questions, actually listen to the answer, <laughs> not just use it as an opportunity to be like, this is what I want to say. This is what I want to say. Listen to the answer, take it in, take notes and go in with a very humble, open, curious mind so that you can start to unearth what is motivating this person and what it is that they actually need. You can start to hear that, that the undertone as many, like we talked about successful salespeople here underneath. And so I think if you really can start there with practicing presence, being curious and listening and staying humble, just starting with those can, can change the, the dynamic of the relationship. And I, I know it's hard because I, I'm stubborn. I'm a redhead. I'm Italian. Like it's, it's hard. But what I try to tell myself going into every situation now is I want to ask more questions than I want to, than I want to talk. I want to listen. I want to be able to, to let them talk and vent and, and give me an insight into what they're thinking and the context of their life. Then now we can have a productive conversation. So um, I think starting there, you know, and again, if you practice this with work, you can't help but carry this over into your personal life, which is really where 
the whole idea of Trojan horsing our, a more empathetic world comes into play for me of let's use our, our, our work as a, as a laboratory to practice this as a sandbox. And it will naturally, I've seen it happen. It will naturally spill over into who we are when we leave the office and we shut the laptop down. Yeah, no, that's nice. And then you start to, to get your, achieve your bigger mission, your, your bigger objective. So mm -hmm. um, note to myself, um, start to work out, but build, um, <laughs> work on my empathy muscle as well as um, mm -hmm. the, the physical. So that's great. Um, I said very briefly, we would just ask um, what's next for you. You've told us you're mm -hmm. going to, um, there's a, an article we're looking out for on LinkedIn in the short term. Then you're mm -hmm. going to have a bit of a break. Um, there, you've got a bigger mission, but does that mean there's another book in behind this one, do you think? Or is it too early? <laughs> I'm not even thinking about that right now. No. Okay. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of, of other media and articles that are going to come out, podcasts over the next couple months. Um, and then um, I'm actually going to Vancouver the first week of December. We're having, we're having an event there, the Women in Tech Regatta. And then I'm, I'm already lining up some speaking engagements for February and just lined up one for May of 2020. Um, so yeah, and my goal is maybe in the spring to try to get to the UK if we can, you know, find a, a business or a sponsor that an organization that wants to bring me in, um, we can we can work with them and and have that be amazing and then maybe do some other events around that. But yeah, really, I just I just want to and I'm going to be starting to book client work starting in February again. So um, bringing this message, but also continuing to do the work to help companies convey who they are and the value they provide is going to be going to be really important so yeah. good that's a challenge for yeah. us at, at fresh collectively to go right yes. okay let's, let's find a way in to get you to the yeah. uk and, and maybe scotland well, yeah and the other thing i might do is i had uh, i have a live coaching program for solopreneurs called momentum that i i ran for two years in a row and i have a digital version of it on my site but um, I kind of took a break from it because it was very labor intensive. It's a six month program, but I'm thinking about bringing that back for, for 2020. So that's pretty exciting. It's a, it's a small cohort. It's working on everything to master your marketing and your message and your brand and put it into action. So um, yeah, I'm thinking about bringing that back in 2020 as well. That sounds great. And we can find all that at red slice, red dash slice.com. Yes. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, listen, and connect Maria, with me. Connect with me on social: Instagram, Red Slice Maria, um, LinkedIn. I'm at Maria J Ross. And if you connect with me on LinkedIn, please just write a note reminding me that you were on the call, <laughs> so I can accept the the connection. And then I'm on Twitter at Red Slice as well. That's great. Listen, Maria, thank you so much um, for for coming in and and talking to us. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Good luck with the rest of the promotional work. Thank you. Thank um, you. And we, we hope, to, hope to see you soon. I know. Thank you.